and welcome once again to EWTN's Bookmark. I'm Doug Keck, your host, our guest author, our good friend and host here on EWTN, Father Timothy M. Gallagher, OMV. Two books. The first one, Struggles in the Spiritual Life. That'll be our main focus. Also, we'll be talking about the discerning priest as well. Speaking of discerning priests, you're one of them. It's always great to have you here. It's great to be back again. So you, you write books and you, your series always seem to strike home with the average person watching. You know what I mean? They're, they're great insights, but they're really accessible by the average person. Is that your intention? It's very much the intention, and that's why, you know, as you see in the book, mm -hmm. we always tell stories. And the stories are meant to be uh, just pretty much like what we experience in life. So that the teaching is not abstract and distant, but it, it's us, you know, it's, it's our life. So I think it, it's the abundant use of examples right. that really makes that clear. Right, and you use different names of different people who are composites of different situations you've experienced, right? Mm -hmm. And if they do what they're intended to do, what happens is they're really holding up a mirror mm -hmm. to what we all experience at some point. My, gu <clears throat> my guess is that any reader will find him or herself at some point in that book. Right, exactly, because you, you say in the introduction, I'm struggling in my spiritual life, I don't understand what's happening and I don't know what to do. I mean, that's all of us at some point, right? That's why the uh, publisher asked me to write the book, mm -hmm. because there, there are these struggles in the spiritual life, and you'd be hard put to know where to turn, you know, to find clarity about them. If you have something like a spiritual director, somebody you can talk to, obviously that's wonderful. Many of us don't have that, mm -hmm. and even if we do have that, my own sense is that this book will be useful for directors and for people just to clarify, okay, this is what's going on, and from our rich Catholic tradition, this is how to understand it and what you need to do. Right. Do you think many people, when they have these particular stumbling blocks in their spiritual walk, think, oh, uh, I can't make it, I'm doing something wrong, and then as you point out here, uh, the evil one starts to work on them? Yeah. So I would say this over and over again, and I'm sure you saw it in the book, there is no shame. Mm -hmm. in experiencing these struggles in the spiritual life. No shame, no surprise. That's simply what happens in living the spiritual life in a fallen but redeemed and loved world. What matters is to know what's going on. <laughs> you know, if it is the enemy at work in a vulnerability someplace so that we can identify it and then to know what mm -hmm. to do about it. Right. Well, you say here, each chapter presents one struggle. The first part of the chapel uh, chapter illustrates a struggle through an example, and you use characters John, Beth, Paul, and Julie, uh, as we said, or a composite. And the second part of the chapter identifies the struggles and provides its remedy. So if I read this book uh, and I get to the remedy part, I'm good. Um, well, the first thing is to identify what the struggle is. <clears throat> Until you do that, you don't really know what the remedy is. But my own sense is that as you go through this, there are 24 chapters in the book, mm -hmm. as you go through this, at some point you're going to say, oh, I've been there, or you may find yourself also saying, oh, that's what's happening now. And once you know what the struggle is, then you know what the remedy is. The remedy right. is supplied in the second part of the chapter. I guess what I was alluding to is the idea, sometimes we say, oh, here's the remedy, I do that. And then we have the same problem again. We shouldn't be surprised if it pops up again, right? No, I mean, growth in prayer in the spiritual life, like any skill or anything that we grow into, it's not once and done. Right. But it's an ongoing life. 
but everything's different when now you know what's going on mm -hmm. and you know what you need to do in it. it you look for the signs and know maybe, okay, maybe I've made, I do make this particular response to it. That's right. Exactly. So you know the old saying that you're condemned to repeat what you do not know, but once you do know, you're not condemned to repeat it anymore. Right. You say part one of the book explores struggles that derive from non-spiritual and part two is having to do with spiritual. Uh, what are non-spiritual issues for people? Isn't everything about the spiritual life? Isn't it all spiritual? What's the difference? There is, it's the difference between nature and grace, you know, that they're found together in the single human person, but they are distinct. So certain struggles in the spiritual life can arise from what I call non-spiritual, just natural, physical, psychological, human issues. So a person who is uh, struggling with some mm -hmm. depression, uh, I don't mean necessarily clinically, but it's a discouraging time in his or her life. Uh, let's say a man who stays up late working, rises early and does this for some weeks and gets, kinda, gets overtired, there's kind of a non-spiritual desolation there. And I also give an illustration of a more exacerbated form of this, which approaches burnout. Mm -hmm. So since these are non-spiritual, natural, physical, and you know, emotional issues, the remedies need to be on that level. The spiritual level is also going to help. But if you're overtired, get more sleep. You know, if you're feeling discouraged, use wise remedies uh, to deal with that. And then things go better in the spiritual life, too. So your physicality impacts your spirituality in that way. Very much so. There's a classic Latin saying that grace presupposes and perfects nature, human nature in this mm -hmm. case. So the more mature we are emotionally, uh, the more we take care of our bodily health, the more we reduce vulnerabilities mm -hmm. to the enemy to discourage us, and the more we open up a space right. for grace to work. Now you say, uh, you talk about the struggles Etc. But you say this book is really about freedom. How so? If the if the book deals with struggles, it is only because it points the way to freedom from them. That's all. So this is a book about freedom from struggles. You also say that struggles are not the heart of the spiritual life. God's love is. Why do Why do we live a spiritual life? You know, because we know that it gives meaning to our lives. It gives joy. Uh, we find our deepest peace. You know, Augustine's famous. Sta statement that only in God do we find rest for our restless hearts. So that's why we live the spiritual life. Even more fundamentally, we live it because it's true. It's the real understanding of what we're here in the world to do as Jesus gives it to us. Now, as we do that, we're going to struggle here or there along the way. And that's where something like this book, my hope is that this book can be of use. Now you talk about here in a section, I can't go on, and it's a particular story about Paul's struggle, like John and Beth is on a natural human level, his physical and emotional energies are depleted in these cases through excessive expenditure of those energies. I thought this was interesting too, with good intentions, but without prudence, Paul has overextended himself and paid the price. So you can have a person even who puts themselves out in such a way, even for many, many good things, Absolutely. but ultimately is, is causing difficulty in their own spiritual life because of the, of the cost to them physically. Mm -hmm. Sure. In that example, Paul is a, a very competent Catholic high school teacher, and he wants to be more competent and um, also maybe to help his family financially. So he decides to go back to school and get his master's even as he continues to teach. 
and he wants to get it done quickly so that the burden will not be too long on his wife and so he's pushing he's burning the candle at both right. ends and finally his energies are, are collapsing and fortunately as the story plays out he's able to speak with Father Reed who is the wisdom mm -hmm. figure uh, there who helps him to see that he just needs to slow this down. Right. So there, it is good to accept your limits in this way as long as they're your true limits, right? You have to accept those limits, absolutely. Now in the section I, can, I, I can't see uh, the story here, uh, it has to do with emails going back between Julie and Emily, it talks about I'm confused, I don't see clearly, I don't understand what's happening in my life, goes on, why does God allow it? Things seem so good before. Now they have gotten heavier and darker. Goes on to say, "Is the danger is that I'll give up?" And you say, "May I ask you, have you ever felt the spiritual heaviness, the darkness that Julie feels now? Have you?" Oh, I have. We all have mm -hmm. at times. And as I say, there's no shame and no surprise in that. That's the situation in which uh, your spiritual life is going ahead well. You love what's happening. And then a point comes when things get confused. That's the I can't see. And you have this kind of sinking sense that you're regressing spiritually right. and that it's going to continue to get worse. No shame, no surprise. What she's experiencing is a spiritual struggle now. And it's one that Ignatius calls spiritual desolation. Right. It's a tactic of the enemy to try to discourage and dishearten the person. And now Julie can respond in one of two ways. If she believes this, if she believes the lie that the enemy is proposing, it's going badly, it's going to get worse, she may give it up. Right. But please God, if she identifies what's going on and can name it as the lie of the enemy and firmly reject it, not only will she not be harmed, but she'll actually grow spiritually. Well, you make the point, in fact, if the enemy brings this desolation to Julie or to anybody, it is precisely because that person is growing exactly. in the spiritual life and he's trying to stop that. The other thing you point out here, which is, I, I think, such a great Ignatian classic rule, and it, it means so much to so many people in so many situations, in time of desolation, never make a change. You know, if people took nothing other than right. that sentence you just pronounced from what we're saying here, if you know you're in the darkness of spiritual desolation, don't change anything in your spiritual life that you'd planned to do before the darkness began. You plan to get to confession at 4 p.m. on Saturday, now in the heaviness, maybe not, maybe don't make the change. You plan to go on that retreat, the faith formation Wednesday evening, right. whatever it is, never make that change and that will get us safely through most of the darkness right. in the spiritual life. You say the burden will not grow in it and, and its hold will weaken, light will return. If you remain firm in such times, you too will find the darkness pass. Absolutely. Here's, here's in, the, in the spiritual life, talking about uh, a particular individual dealing with losing one's peace, uh, and something you refer to, or Ignatius referred to as disturbance of the soul. What is that? Mm -hmm. So you've been living your spiritual life, you've loved and you're growing, and you've loved the peace and serenity um, that this has brought into your heart, and you're getting rooted in that, and then at a certain point, it's not there and you try to pray, you go down to church for Mass, you're faithful, but now there's a bit of trouble and anxiety in your heart somewhere. And then you can start to think, something's going badly, mm -hmm. I must be doing something wrong in the spiritual life, all of those things, which is what the enemy would like us to believe. Mm -hmm. But if you can simply identify this, no, this is just a tactic of the enemy. There's nothing dramatic about it. It's a tactic in the ordinary daily living of the spiritual life. 
it's spiritual desolation and the call is to identify it and firmly reject it, right. then you go forward. Right, and you mentioned uh, in this case uh, Ignatius is rule number six, four spiritual means. One is called prayer petition, one is meditation, next examination of what am I feeling, and then also interesting suitable penance, and you refer to that as a gesture of courage. Yeah, <clears throat> so the undiscerning, unaware response to spiritual desolation, it's just heavy and discouraging, is going to be a flight into some form of what Blaise Pascal calls diversion. So we head to the refrigerator again, or we go on the <laughs> screens again. You know, all the, uh, all the different things that we do, and of course that doesn't resolve anything. So what Ignatius says is, instead of that, do exactly the opposite. And it doesn't have to be big things. Small gestures of penitential courage, and it may take courage. Smile at the last person you want to smile at. Perform a, a small service for someone. Answer that email. You know, they've been waiting two weeks to hear from you and so on. These, these are small gestures of penitential courage that go exactly against the lie of the desolation. And when you take e one even small step with the Spirit, the Spirit opens up the next and the next and the next. Right, and it's interesting too because you talk about the attack goes on the person, look how poorly you pray, it's only to get, going to get worse as you said before, uh, and you'll never be much of a man of prayer. Yeah, this is one of the tactics of the enemy in spiritual desolation that Ignatius calls lack of confidence. Mm -hmm. So you start to hear these voices, all right, go on that retreat, you'll hear a few good things, but it's not going to change you really. Mm -hmm. You know, get up earlier in the morning and pray, and that'll do some good, but it's not going to really change you. Don't think that you're ever going to be a really holy mother, wife, father, mm -hmm. husband, and so forth. So these lies of the enemy uh, will come to us precisely, as you say, right. because we're growing in the spiritual life. If we believe them, um, they'll weaken our energy. Right. But if we do what Ignatius is telling us to do here, identify them and firmly reject them, then as I said, not only are we not harmed, but every time we do that, we grow in strength against these tactics of the enemy. And it's interesting too, because you say the more you, you give into that pull, the harder it is to resist, and you talk about the idea uh, the very beginning rule, and I think you kind of related to is, you know, you stop the, the, the landslide or the snowball when it's still right at the beginning. That's yeah. when you got a nip in the bud. In that metaphor, you know, here's a high mountain covered with snow. Snowball is just getting started. Mm -hmm. You can put out a finger and stop it. Let it get halfway down the mountainside, gaining mass and speed. It'll, it'll run you over. So what Ignatius is saying is when the enemy brings his temptations, why don't you let your prayer go till later? You can let yourself see that, have that, do that. It doesn't have to get so far out of hand. Stop it right in the very beginning when mm -hmm. the snowball is just beginning and you never have to deal with that landslide halfway down. And you won't be overwhelmed, and which is what happens to people, right? What he's basically said, so here is, let's say, a man who's discouraged at the end of the day, 10 o'clock, alone in his room. Normally he prays for a few minutes and that's how he ends his day. Nothing in him wants to pray now. Mm -hmm. Just spiritual desolation, no shame, no surprise and everything in him wants to reach out for the phone in a way that he knows can become, in Ignatius' terms, low and earthly. When is it easiest for him to resist the temptation? Before the first touch of the phone. Mm -hmm. If one touch becomes 50, becomes 100, it gets harder and harder as the snowball goes down the mountainside. Right. So rule 12, which is the, uh, the rule where Ignatius mm -hmm. talks about this, can save us all of that struggle if we're willing to stop the temptation right, right in its very beginning. And contrary to what the, uh, the, uh, the devil is putting in your ear, the wonderful truth is that the, 
that there is nothing wrong with you. That's another quality of the way the enemy works. See, um, it, there are two basic, ordinary, undramatic, I'd even say garden variety tactics of the enemy. I'm using the word enemy because that's the word Ignatius right. uses the most. Uh, one of them is temptation, so deceptive suggestions. You know, why don't you let yourself, uh, let your prayer go till later. And the other is the spiritual desolation, which is a heaviness of heart on the spiritual level. So to know what those two are and know how to resist them, I think we're more or less familiar with temptation, but without Ignatius' instruction, we'd have a harder time identifying spiritual desolation. And, and how kind of the temptation is kind of dropped in there in the midst of de desolation, yes, right? Yes, that very much so. And you know, it's my conviction, this is after almost 40 years of working with this now, that for most dedicated people, and that's probably going to include most, maybe all of those listening to us, the real obstacle in the spiritual life is spiritual desolation when we get discouraged and disheartened. And so a teaching that helps us to be aware of it, name it, and gives us tools to reject it, I think, is the greatest gift of the Spirit through Ignatius for the daily spiritual life. In a section, I'm going to fail, which uh, is relatable to most of us at different times, at times, the desolation helps us see areas of regression and address them. At other times, God permits desolation because we learn and grow stronger spiritually through the struggle. Yeah, this is Ignatius Rule 9 where he's addressing the question, why does a God who loves us and whom we're attempting as best we can, imperfectly, but as best we can to love and serve, why does he permit us to go through these dark times of spiritual desolation? Couldn't he spare us? Mm -hmm. And Ignatius indicates three reasons why God may allow that. So if there are areas of slippage in the spiritual life, spiritual desolation is a kind of a wake-up call. But there may be no slippage, and God may permit it, because as we go through that struggle, we're growing in very important ways in the spiritual life. And finally, Ignatius says God may permit mm -hmm. spiritual desolation just to keep us rooted mm -hmm. in humility. Right. In fact, it goes right to there, because after talking about in the and a chapter relating to a lack of hope and how that impacts you. Is that exactly what I was going to ask you about this? We need, therefore, to, Ignatius tells us to remain humble, not naively high, thinking that all struggles are past in time of spiritual consolation. We need to remain trusting, not despairingly low. Because sometimes people do have a spiritual experience. They go on a retreat. They go on something else. And they make changes in their lives in a positive way. And even though they continue with those changes, some of the good feeling about that tends to fall away. Yeah. So it's much more accurate to think of the spiritual life as a fluctuation between times of joy and consolation mm -hmm. and occasional times of spiritual desolation. And in the one, to be humble, receive the grace joyfully, but remain humble wisely uh, so that we don't stretch too far and so forth. And in the other, the spiritual desolation, to remain trusting, knowing that God's grace will get us through. Now, you also talk about the idea that somebody starts to feel like, uh, I have no fervor. Again, that kind of idea that uh, I, I kind of went, I was on fire, and now I'm, I'm kind of very tepid. Again, if we don't understand what's going on, we can get pretty discouraged then. Uh, maybe it was just a flash in the pan. But if we know the teaching, you know, you just expect, serenely expect times like that. It's a tactic of the enemy. Be aware of them, identify them, and reject them.
That's and, the call. And you talk about later, I, I wanted to focus on the ones that I think most of us kind of deal with feeling alone, but you know, there's forms of dryness and there's also the idea of the dark night of the soul. What's an example of dryness? A person tries to pray, and let's say prayer is, let's say it's a woman who prays for 20 minutes every morning with mm -hmm. scripture. She uses the daily readings from the Mass. And she's been doing this for a year. She loves it. She can see her faith getting more alive. Um, her presence in the home is becoming more joyful and mm -hmm. patient. Uh, prayer is more alive. Um, and then at, at a certain point, she doesn't know why she continues to pray with the mm -hmm. readings, but it just feels like she's not getting anything out of it. And she begins to wonder what's going on here. Mm -hmm. So in that section of the book, I deal with various things right. that may be at work so that identifying them, we know what the response needs to be. Okay, that's struggles in the spiritual life, their nature and their remedies. And you also have another book in the closing couple of minutes we've got uh, that is kind of focused on the, on the priesthood, the discerning priest, Ignatian wisdom for daily life in the priesthood. What made you decide to put a book like this together? Because no book like this exists. So uh, priests in their own vocation, I've done this for marriage as well in a separate book, but priests uh, in their rectories, in their parishes, they're going to experience these ups and downs as well. So what I do here is I create Father Tom, who is again an amalgam right. you know, of 40 years of experience, and we watch him go through the things that uh, priests do go through, let's say, in, in parish, and we see how this teaching of Ignatius applies specifically in their vocation. You say, I've limited this book to, uh, to Ignatius's first set of rules. Why? Um, because Ignatius himself, um, for very significant reasons, asks that the two set of rules be kept separate. Mm -hmm. I have done a, a book on the second set of rules, which should be out this year. Right. And you also make the point in that the reaction to this from priests who are dealing, you know, mm. in that life is, is because it's positive, because it's practical. It's practical. For when you uh, speak at a priest convocation or a retreat and priests say, this is practical, it's about the highest praise. That, right. that, now, uh, just a few days ago, I was speaking with a priest and he told me that um, the pastor of, of a parish there was reading this book and uh, he said something that really made me happy. He said, I'm Father Tom. Which oh, means, really? Okay. Yeah, which means so he saw himself there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Now, who's Father James Wolfe, and why did you dedicate the book to him? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. He was the pastor of the parish where I grew up. Uh, for 27 years, he was the pastor of that parish. So in my family, most of us got our first sacraments, uh, and for years, our sacraments through him. He was sent to this small uh, rural area to create a parish, which he did, built a rectory and a mm -hmm. church, and left a flourishing parish. I owe him so much. You know, uh, he fostered my vocation. Mm -hmm. He took me to the seminary when the time came. Uh, I was privileged to preach at his funeral. I just wanted him to be remembered right. as a fine, faithful priest. One thing in the, in the book struck me, it said uh, there was a case where uh, you're talking about a priest who was being concerned about, you know, the feedback was, oh, he was being very spiritual. And the question became, is he doing that for God or doing that for himself so he can be praised or seem more spiritual than other priests? Sure, and not only priests, but this is another tactic of the enemy. So he's growing. Mm -hmm. uh, he decides he's going to be more faithful to his holy hour every day. And then he starts to hear these voices. Um, this isn't really about God. 
This is really about the fact that you're getting compliments, you want mm -hmm. more. And you like the fact, you won't admit it, but you like the fact that people will say, well, he's the spiritual mm -hmm. priest. Others are administrators and so on, but he's the spiritual priest. You're really in competition with the others. Now, if he believes all of that, Ignatius calls that disquieting with false reasons. It's mm -hmm. another tactic of the enemy. If he believes that, it's disheartening. But if he is aware, again, can name it for the tactic of the enemy right. that it is and reject it, he'll go on solidly. Well, well, he could be doing both, couldn't he? I mean, he could be trying to do the right thing and then feel good about the fact that he's trying to do the right thing. No? If he's feeling good about the fact that he's trying to do the right thing, I think that's a very good thing. No, okay. <laughs> that's, that's the way we should feel. Okay, know? very good. The book, Discerning Priest, Nations, Wisdom for the Daily Life and the Priesthood, something would be wonderful to pick up for the priest in your local parish, of course, and the book we spend most of our time on, Struggles in the Spiritual Life for All of Us. We all have them, their nature and their remedies, some great insights uh, illustrated by Father Gallagher. And of course, that's Father Timothy M. Gallagher. Look for both books available through the EWTN Religious Catalog. Also look for the wonderful programs that Father Gallagher has done on EWTN and his other books available as well. I'm Doug Keck. This is EWTN's Bookmark. Thanks for stopping by. We'll see you next time.